0: Welcome to the Painting Lines podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready?
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Painting Lines podcast. Last week we talked about on-court coaching and whether or not it should be allowed in tennis. This week, we're gonna be talking about the Italian Open and recapping you know, what we saw. So right off the bat, we saw Medvedev win his first ATP Clay 1000 tournament. Aiden, what do you think? How, how did that happen? This guy's been notorious for being anti-Clay, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive to see. I mean, his first win in Rome happened in this tournament, and then he's able to actually win the entire tournament. I think that Medvedev played well. He was just getting it done. And then in the final, I think, really, Runa seemed a little too patient to me. Runa was depending on his athleticism a little too much. And so he was getting into these longer rallies and wasn't necessarily going for shots as much. And Medvedev was taking those aggressive shots and ending the point early. That's how he ended up winning the match.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean... So from what I noticed watching Medvedev play is he didn't really change up his style from hard court to clay. And you kind of see that in this tournament, it actually benefited him with the weather. There was a lot of rain, wasn't super warm, which has an impact on the surface. When the clay is cold and damp, The balls tend to stay hard and flat, and that's exactly how Medvedev plays. That's his shot. So I think the surface actually benefited him, and he was able to play his hardcourt style. Ultimately, I think this win could have been a fluke for him. I don't see him going very far in Roland Garros especially if it stays warm and dry you know the balls get more of a kick more of a top spin and then you have those nadal-esque players like rude um like Alcraz, who are able to do better on that surface i'm i'm not too bullish on medvedev on clay i think this could have been a little bit of luck with the weather
0: yeah so when it's colder like this does it make it almost similar to grass with the ball almost skipping more
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a harder, faster shot. It skips off the clay when it's cold and wet. And you see that Medvedev didn't change up his playing style. He was playing as if he was on a hard court. It's also harder to slide too. So you see some of the athletic, more athletic players struggle a little bit in this climate.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I think clay has got to be the biggest surface of the three surfaces that can be actually impacted by the weather that much. Because obviously, I think grass earlier on in the tournament, like when it, the grass is less beaten down and dried out, it sort of probably skips a little bit less. But I would think that on clay, there, there's more of an impact if it's wet and rainy. Mm-hmm, exactly.
1: I guess kind of going off that, do you think Medvedev made any significant like adjustments from his hardcore style to the clay season?
0: Well, I think I think obviously there's some level of adjustment, but I think in general he knows that he's a high level player and if that's what was working was playing sort of like it was a hard court it worked out for him because i remember after he won the tournament he did say like i still don't really like clay my my one love is hard court it sounds like he's still not a fan of playing on clay.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you see it a lot when you said, especially with Runa not being very aggressive, being a little too patient in points. Like you really see Medvedev able to drive in these hard, flat shots because if the clay was warm and dry, I think Runa would have had a better chance because he's more of a defensive player getting in these longer rallies. But with the surface being cold and damp, how it was, you saw Medvedev able to drive shots and basically put. Like pin Runa into these corners where he was either getting back little shots where Medvedev was putting him away right away, or he wasn't even getting balls back and they were falling short either into the net or not even making it to the net. So that's that's a little something I noticed. Let's move on to these rivalry matches we had in the semifinals. This was, this was a great tournament.
0: Yeah. Speaking of how he beat Runa, I mean, the fact that he's able to beat pass is really impressive. I mean, similar to the final, it was a delayed match. So obviously the conditions are a factor. And I mean, after he won, did you see his celebration?
1: Oh, yeah. He doesn't have much rhythm at all, but at least he likes to have fun out there.
0: Yeah, he goes for it, though. I mean, kind of reminded me of how he did the, the dead fish celebration when he won the U.S. Yeah. Open. It's like yeah. he, he does something, and it's definitely going to get a reaction from people, but it's definitely not the uh, smoothest move.
1: No, no. That Dead Fish, that was a Fortnite celebration, right?
0: I think so. I yeah. think
1: so. So when I first saw it, I had no clue what it was. I was like, "What is? what kind of celebration is that? But later I found out it was from a video game. And I guess yeah. he, he plays a lot of video games. <laughs> Do you know that?
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, he does. He's a gamer, big gamer. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny how he kind of compared it to being drunk in the club dancing, where you kind of just let loose. You don't really care who's watching you don't care how good the moves are, but you think it's good, you know? Exactly. So he's like, oh, well, let's see. I mean, it's probably going to be on on a, on YouTube or in a GIF or GIF.
0: I did also notice, though, that Tennis TV made a post that implied that his dance was a payback for Sitsipas dancing after beating him last year. Do you think that's true?
1: I think so. I think Medvedev and Poss, there's a history there, obviously. So I think whenever they play each other, one of them has to get the upper hand. So, like. Back in Cincinnati, when Boss hit that dance move, which, side note, way smoother than Medvedev's, Tsitsipas was kind of nice at it. I think that was ingrained in Medvedev's head, and he was thinking about it the whole time, especially once it got closer to the end of the match. He's like, what can I do to rub it in his
0: face after I beat him?
1: And, of course, the dancing just kind of put the cherry on top.
0: It's funny to see, but it's also kind of... You look at that, and you're like, "That's pretty petty of him." I like when you see someone like Djokovic, where maybe they celebrate after, but it's not necessarily targeted at the other person like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, but it does kind of get into the new, the new era of tennis. Like you don't have you don't have people dancing back then when they would win matches. You know, maybe a big fist pump or you know letting out a big roar, but it's kind of cool seeing the I guess pop culture aspect um, starting to be relevant in tennis like a lot of players are starting to kind of replicate other sports where you have you know touchdown dances in the NFL or like three point shot celebrations in the NBA like it'll be interesting to see if that gets carried over into tennis
0: yeah I mean like you you see just some guy hit like a really nice shot up the line and he's just like
1: Bang! <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, what if we do start seeing that?
0: <laughs> That'd be hilarious. But,
1: but uh, I've seen some uh, some tennis racket guitar celebrations, you know, the classic.
0: Yeah. You might see some of the younger guys doing that. Like I could see Runa doing that. I could see him pulling that against Rude in his match when he's coming back because that was definitely a mental thing when he started coming back against him.
1: Yeah, definitely. So yeah, let's actually get into the Runa Rude semifinal.
0: Yeah, I mean, we had the, we had our bets on it last week. Both of our hey. bets of the week were on that match, so I was pretty happy with how it turned out. Not necessarily, I wasn't necessarily rooting for Runa, but yeah. my bet did hit. So your bet
1: did hit, and my bet was looking really good after rude won the first set and then was up a break in the second set i'm like oh let's go i got this and then downhill he just loses it so yeah i lost my bet you won yours yeah i Um, got
0: that over over 2.5 sets
1: yeah so actually funny story i was watching this match with my norwegian cousins and um obviously there's the rivalry between runa and ruda because they're both Scandinavian, you know, Nordic countries. The way Norwegian is spoken is a different dialect than Danish, like similar words, same words, but different dialect. Think of it like English and Irish or American English and Irish. And um, in Roland Garros last year, when Runa kicked out his mom, remember he was telling her, he's like, leave, leave. So the Danish word was, fool that, fool that and my Norwegian cousin was just making fun of him the whole time he's in Norwegian it's like and I guess he thinks that that sounds way more graceful than Danish yeah that was fun fun to watch
0: Um, but yeah I I, he had that comeback for Runa and uh he was down the set in the break and then he had a medical timeout and uh I think like I was saying with the the, men, the mind games, this is another kind of fair play issue for Runa. I mean, he's kind of been just continuing to build this reputation of not being the most fair player out there. And even though it's kind of allowed to take these medical timeouts, which you can't really make a rule about them having medical timeouts because if someone's injured, it wouldn't be fair to like right. force them to keep playing without getting a break but if it, if it people start exploiting it too much you're going to have to make some sort of restriction about it
1: i know i agree and when he did it too right before rude was serving i don't think that should be allowed
0: yeah like y- you can only do it before your serve
1: mm-hmm. yeah so I think we can get into this. We can get into this more uh, when we get into segments because my What's New in Tennis is an article about this. So let's save that for a little bit later.
0: Sounds good. And
1: then get into Djokovic and Alcaraz, two people that were heavy favorites to win this tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean, massive. The one in the two seed, obviously, two best players in the world in a lot of people's minds. I think Alcaraz probably still is the best player in the world right now, but. Djokovic loses in the quarterfinals. He's had a pretty abysmal clay court season based on what we come to expect from him. Because I think at this point, people are still comparing Djokovic of this year to Djokovic of like 2021, where he was almost undefeated through like the first seven months of the year. And he won the first three grand slams. And People are just expecting that sort of level from him all the time. And the fact that he's been losing relatively early in these big tournaments and hasn't been winning that much after the Australian Open, it it makes it look like he just doesn't have it right now. And that just brings up a giant question mark for the French Open. I mean, will he be able to get it done at the French? Will he be able to turn it around? It's hard to say.
1: Yeah, these younger guys are coming for him, and I don't think he's as much of a force to be reckoned with. I mean, hopefully he proves me wrong because I would like to see him win at least another Grand Slam to be the outright, you know, Grand Slam champion leader. So, or or Nadal, I don't know. I want one of them to 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 get him out ahead. I don't like the whole tie. You know, yeah. I, I like the undisputed.
0: Do you think he, when you're saying that, do you mean like you think he'll kind of become someone like a like a Dimitrov? You see them at a tournament and you're like, okay, I expect him to win a couple rounds, but I don't think he's going to win the tournament.
1: Yeah, I think this will be a lot different than Federer and Nadal, who it's I don't want to say Nadal's done playing, but it, he's damn near. So he was pretty much on top of his game when he stopped. He and Feder. Feder knew right away like he was it was a drastic really good to not so good where I think as Djokovic he's going to hang around for a little like at least a few years more and go far in these tournaments but not win which is a weird thing to put up with when you're as good as you are like pretty much goaded in Djokovic situation to be a mediocre player on tour like either you have it and you're winning or you kind of hang it up at that point
0: yeah, it's interesting because for Federer and Nadal, they were at the top, like you said, and then they just had these injuries, their body let them down. Nadal looks like he's on his way out and Federer retired.
1: Yeah, exactly. There wasn't any middle ground.
0: Yeah, the, exactly. The middle ground, I think that if Djokovic maintains his health, he his body won't be able to do it and time will catch up with him, but he won't necessarily get injured. And so we'll actually see that sort of slow decline where... His body, while his body isn't able to actually perform at the level he wants it to, it doesn't fall apart.
1: Mm -hmm, Right. I think you're kind of seeing that with Vavrinka right now, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Vavrinka is a good example where Vavrinka and Murray, if you look at both of them, right, they both won three Grand Slams. They were both great for a long time. Vavrinka didn't have major injuries that I know. I mean, he may have. I could be misinformed on this, but he kind of declined relatively slowly. Now he's like, 80th in the world, and he still can win matches against great players, but you don't expect him to make it that far in a tournament. Mm -hmm. And then Murray obviously had major injuries, and now is kind of coming back, but he can't come back to the same level that he was.
1: Yeah, Aiden, those are two great examples with great points that you just made right there. But um, let's move on to Alcraz. You know, what happened here? How does he lose to Morazon, a qualifier um, pretty sure this was his first ATP win um, and this guy beats the number one player in the world how does this happen
0: it's pretty insane I mean did he find some sort of chink in Alcaraz's armor what did he do that was so unique and I think one part of it is that when you're playing a person for Alcaraz that he hasn't seen before he's never he probably has never even thought about Marosian. and. Now, all of a sudden, he's going up against the guy. And even though Morosian isn't the same level of player as Alcaraz, Alcaraz hasn't seen him play before. And so there's a little bit of unknown there. Watching that match, Morosian maybe did expose a little bit of a weakness because he was hitting these spectacular drop shots that were so good that Alcaraz, who's maybe the most uh, athletic and fast player on the tour, just wasn't getting to these balls. And he was also mixing that in with a drop shot. And then he was charging the net as well. So even if Alcaraz was able to get there, he was putting away the next shot.
1: Yeah. I wonder if other players are going to rewatch this match and try to take away um, how morojan played Alcaraz. Because right now, Alcaraz was pretty much unstoppable before that. He was going for his third straight clay uh, championship, right, leading up to Roland Garros.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about it, though, is like, You have to think that it could have just been that that was just Mirozhan's day and he wasn't going to lose against Alcaraz no matter what happened, which does happen. I mean, these are all top-level players. So if Alcaraz isn't having his day and Mirozhan is, anything can happen. It kind of reminds me of uh, when Lucas Rosso played Nadal in the 2012 Wimbledon like Nadal, I believe, was the number two seed in the world at that point and was a heavy favorite to make a deep run or maybe even win the tournament and then lost in, I believe, the second round against a guy that was ranked like 128th in the world. And it's just sometimes you come up against a guy and you don't know what he's going to bring and he knows exactly what you're going to bring because he's seen hundreds of hours of footage of you and sometimes they just break through and it's their day.
1: No, exactly. You know, you know what they say, history tends to repeat itself. And that's the beautiful thing about sports. You, you really see this in any sport, any given day, you know, stuff happens. That's why you go out and compete. If, if it was just the favorite that was going to win every time, then what's the point of even playing?
0: Yeah. I mean, in another sport right now, I mean, the Miami Heat are up 3-0 against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they're the eight seed. They're playing against the one seed. You nobody predicted that going in and uh it's been a very one-sided series
1: yeah jimmy butler baby
0: yeah this is awesome all right
1: let's get into Chorch. what's this guy's deal he's making
0: runs dude i know another deep run from Chorch. Chorch has kind of had a topsy-turvy situation where he was doing well then he was sort of just declining for a little while got injured dropped massively but since his injury and his comeback He's made some massive improvements. He won uh, a, his first ATP 1000 event when he was at the bottom of that pit from his injury. And since then, he's just kind of been skyrocketing back up and has made deep runs at, what is it, three tournaments now in a row? It'll be interesting to see how he does in Roland Garros. But
1: um, yeah, how about the American tennis players, man? It has been a pretty disappointing tournament for... For American tennis you know you have Ben Shelton keeps losing Tommy Paul keeps losing Fritz first round exit to Huffman. Um, the only highlight I would say from from this tournament with American tennis players is JJ Wolf beat Hercotch that's a big win for JJ Hercotch was ranked number 14th he's a legitimate player and uh, it's good to see at least one American get a big win Tia- tiafo also made it pretty far um lose, ultimately losing to musetti but uh made it to the round of 32 same as jj wolf what's what's going on here
0: yeah i mean it's interesting because her is one of those players where he's a top level player i mean number 14 in the world you have to be but i haven't really seen him making like massively deep run- i mean did he has he made any big deep runs recently am i overlooking any yeah, he he made it pretty far in
1: Miami uh 2 years, yeah, 2022. Uh he lost to Alcaraz in the semifinal. And then Wimbledon 2 years ago, he uh he made it to the quarters. So Okay. He's he's a good player. He he makes it far, but um yeah, like you said, he hasn't had any big tournament wins as of
0: recently. To me, like kind of like a catching off I don't really expect him to win the tournament, but if he makes it to the quarters, I'm not surprised yeah.
1: no that's it's a big name you know exactly but yeah i was very optimistic on tommy paul this clay court season hasn't really panned out for me uh obviously we were both optimistic on ben shelton remember a few weeks ago we were saying oh, yeah. he could be, or a few months ago we were saying he could be the next face of american tennis um after that australian open run he hasn't really done much except he did get that new on cloud sponsorship which was pretty sweet i do think he has the best looking clothes on tour and uh, he's playing in the geneva tournament right now because he just spent you know a week or so at the on cloud headquarters in Zurich. and he said they treated him like a king you know showed him around switzerland gave him all this new gear it's pretty interesting to see him as a college student live this professional tennis player lifestyle on the tour
0: well, yeah, I mean, for On Cloud, I mean, they're not a big name. They're not. I mean, relatively, they're a big name, but not compared yeah, not to on tennis. Not, yeah, yeah, not compared to like Nike, Adidas, uh, Yonex, uh, Dunlop. Some like against those guys, On Cloud is nobody. Yeah. And so I think they're looking at Shelton, sort of like, I mean, that movie just came out about how Nike uh, signed Michael Jordan. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, what on cloud is hoping for with Shelton. Like, they're hoping he blows up and becomes this massive worldwide superstar, which to an extent he already is, but Mm -hmm. they're hoping he gets to maybe, like, top five in the world, at which point it would boost their brand massively.
1: Oh, yeah, big time. They also signed uh, Iga Zvitek, too, on the WTA. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're making moves. Yeah. How about Medvedev and Zverev? This was a tournament filled with rivalries. I like to consider this a rivalry just because of their history, but it's kind of turning into a one-sided rivalry here. You know, you have Medvedev winning the last eight of nine um, matches with these. So at least we didn't have any salty Zverev comments after this match, you know, alleging that Medvedev cheated and whatnot. Um, Do you think this is still a rivalry? Like, would you consider this a rivalry or
0: no? Well, I think it's weird because it's not really an on-court rivalry given the dominance of uh, Medvedev over Zverev, but it's still an off-court rivalry. That's one thing that we're noticing with a lot of these next-gen guys is that the off-court stuff is really what's making the rivalry big. It's not that, oh they're constantly playing and it's back and forth, it's back and forth. Like sometimes this guy wins, sometimes the other guy wins. It's really just that, oh, they don't like each other off the court and they're not afraid to show it. Unlike how it used to be where if a player didn't like someone off the court, they would just not make a comment.
1: No, that's a really great point. It's, it's kind of like the opposite of the Federer Nadal rivalry. You know, these two were the top two players in the sport and the reason there was a rivalry was because they kept meeting each other in the finals, you know, going back and forth. But, you know, Zverev isn't – Medvedev's at the top of the game. He's ranked number two right now. But Zverev isn't um, anywhere near, like, the Federer and Nadal level. So interesting rivalry. Like you said, I would I would classify it as an off-court, not so much on-court.
0: About that, with Federer and Nadal, you had sort of a mutual respect between the players. Like, maybe – Maybe when they were really intensely battling each other for all these tournaments, they weren't friends, which I think they are kind of now. Mm-hmm. But there was a respect there. They weren't going at each other's throats off the court and making all these yeah, comments.
1: Exactly, it was a classy rivalry. Like you had Nadal cry when Federer announced his retirement, and because yeah. they pushed each other. Yeah. Exactly. I don't see I don't see Medvedev crying when Zverev retires.
0: Yeah. I remember seeing this interview of Federer, and they asked him who is his least favorite person to play, and he was like Rafa Nadal. And then yeah. they said, Who's like your favorite person to play against? And he was like, Rafa Nadal. Because it was like wow. even though he was the toughest guy, it was the guy that he wanted to see because he knew that it pushed him to be the greater. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: All right, so we have Roland Garros coming up uh, seven days, a week from now. Um, this is pretty interesting. It kind of leaves the tournament wide open for grabs. I'd, it'll be interesting to see how much different it'll be just because of the five sets versus the three sets. Like If we'll have as many no-name players that, as we saw in the you know, 500 and 1,000 tournaments make runs like they did in Roland Garros. I don't know. I think the five sets will have a, have an impact, and I think the stronger players will ultimately prevail. Do you think there's just still going to be upsets?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think for someone like Djokovic, I think the experience will show. I think he'll be able to win a few matches, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he got upset in, like, the third round or the fourth round. I think if he doesn't make it insanely far, it wouldn't be that surprising based on how he's... Clay court season has gone so far.
1: Yeah, that would be unfortunate. <laughs> I think Alcaraz has the best shot of winning though.
0: I I'd I yeah. see that. Yeah, even though he lost like early in this tournament, that probably was just a one-off in my opinion mm-hmm. and I think that most of the top players are going to have major difficulty beating him.
1: Yeah, I want to see an Alcaraz-Runa matchup in in Roland Garros.
0: I think that honestly If I were to see that match and it wasn't the final, I think that match would kind of screw them for the next round because I think that would be an incredibly physical match. I think there would be a ton of super long points and that after that match, the winner would just be gassed for the next round.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Another matchup I would like to see is Medvedev and Rude just because of the contrasting playing styles. I want to see if medvedev's victory was a fluke as i mentioned in the beginning of the podcast Versus, like a rude who's a i would say clay court specialist and see if medvedev can still win against someone who's actually good on clay
0: i mean or or see uh, a repeat of him versus siti pass but on a drier and uh yeah yeah warmer surface yeah that'll be interesting all right let's uh let's hop into segments so uh, what's new in tennis? What, what, you, what did you see this week?
1: What is new in tennis? So Casper Rude actually speaks out um, regarding the medical timeouts. Uh, we alluded to this earlier, but I personally don't think it's fair when you know you have someone calling a medical timeout before that person's going to serve. And just to provide some background context, Rude was up one set and a break against Runa. Runa calls a medical timeout um, and ultimately rude goes downhill from there. It was right before a serve. He, he loses the break and then ends up losing his serve twice after that goes on to lose the match. So he's asked whether or not Runa's medical timeout was tactical and rude being the classy guy that he is saying, you know, I hope not. Um, I have to respect if he's injured, he needs the physio, but. You know this needs to be discussed he's not alleging or he's not putting any blame on runa but he's saying this is kind of a problem it needs to be addressed look at it because it's happened before um, you know i personally don't think that players should be allowed to call medical timeouts before their opponents serve like think about it tennis is all about flow and rhythm and you have these players taking tactical timeouts to throw their opponent off and I don't like that I don't think it's fair
0: yeah especially since it's such a mental game like if someone throws a a wrench in your head right when you're in like your mental temple or whatever you're in your flow state kind of like you were saying Mm -hmm. it's obviously gonna mess you up I mean kind of building off of that when Nori hit Djokovic with that ball Mm -hmm. Djokovic was like I mean, everything he was doing up until that point was legal, but he didn't have to hit me with the ball. Like, he can take that medical timeout, which I don't really agree with, but then he was mad because he hit him with the ball.
1: Yeah, that was a feisty match. <laughs> you got the Djokovic glare, just staring him down. He does that a lot too. Remember uh, remember when Nadal hit him a few years ago, and Nadal apologized, gave him a little wave, but Djokovic kind of brushed him off, like shook his head, and then wouldn't look at him, just walked by. And the doll just gave that little shrug.
0: He was like, I'm trying to apologize.
1: Yeah, he's like, eh, I don't know. But going back to Runa, I, I think it was faking. I think it was completely tactical because that was the first time you saw him get his shoulder worked on the whole tournament, and the last time too. I think if his shoulder was actually injured, he probably would have had it worked on in the final. But,
0: but yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is obviously people aren't fans of Runa doing stuff like that because he has a history of it. But if it's allowed, like there's really nothing yeah. to stop him from doing it. Like if he thinks that's his best chance to win the match and it's a legal thing, it's not cheating. Mm-hmm. He, he can do it. And that's that's why yeah, you're
1: right. You're right. All right. What's new for you?
0: Uh, my, what's new was, uh, I saw this article about Hugo Gaston and he was fined for this match against church where he lost the match to Chorch, but in the first set, on set point, George had an overhead smash to win the set, and Gaston took a ball out of his pocket and threw it on the court. And people are, believe that the goal, throwing the ball on the court, was so that the point would get replayed. And Ooh. so he was fined 125,000 euros for throwing the ball onto the court which is actually more than he has made for the entire year so far.
1: Oh, that is a tough, tough look.
0: And I think Man. it just it just shows how intense the ATB Tour is about unsportsmanlike behavior. If they think you're cheating, if they think they can prove you didn't have an injury, it could be uh, some severe backlash.
1: I've actually never been a fan of Hugo Gaston. Uh, actually seeing him at last year's U.S. Open, I was there in person. And I was watching him play Bublik, and this guy was just such a jerk to the ball kids. Uh, he was throwing water all around. He was yelling at people, like being just a not a, not a cool player to watch. I, I actually got up and left. I, I couldn't really stand him. So I'm glad that they find him. I think that's an unsportsmanlike move on his part, and he needs to do better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. All righty, what's your uh, bet of the week?
1: Bet of the week, I am taking J.J. Wolf over Hugo Delian minus 130. I think that's a pretty good line for, like I said, Hugo Delian. I'm not really sure who that is, but I think J.J. Wolf's coming in hot after his win over Hercotch, so I, I'll be betting on him this week. That match is tomorrow.
0: Yeah, similarly, I also have a momentum pick but mm-hmm. it is uh, not for the American in this situation. I'm uh, picking Grégoire berre Hopefully mm. that was a good pronunciation. Mm. Plus 135 over Tommy Paul. And uh, it's a momentum pick. Like I said, uh, Tommy Paul has lost his first round in the last three non-challenger tournaments he's played. And Berre just hit a career high and... He beat Kachanov and advanced to the third round in Rome. So I think he's going to be riding that high and he's going to beat Tommy Paul, even though Tommy Paul is an excellent opponent. I think mm-hmm. the mental game, like we were talking about, one's at a high, one's at a low.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so we got two momentum picks this week. There we go. Hopefully those will pay out. <laughs> All right. Match of the week. I had Medvedev and Tsitsipas. Uh Revenge match, grudge match, you can call it even. Um, you had the, the dancing incident with Pass in Cincinnati and then Medvedev kind of returning the favor here in Rome. Uh, a lot of history, you know, f- starting off Miami 2018, you had, I think, their first skirmish where Tsitsipas allegedly called Medvedev a bullshit Russian after the match And then you have Medvedev kind of getting in his face, like, come say it to my face, Stephanos, what are you saying? And then uh, calling him a baby, a little kid. If he wants to fight, he wants to fight. And then from that moment on, it has just been chippy between the two. And then you had in the Australian Open last year, the big coaching incident where Sitsipas's dad was coaching him in Greek and Medvedev blew up at the umpire, you know, calling him stupid, saying he's coaching. How do you not see it? How do you not see it? So they planted a Greek speaking umpire next to Sitsipas's dad in the crowd and actually got him for coaching. So Mevinev wasn't crazy. His blow up was well warranted, I think. But getting back to the match, um, always love it when these two play, we have two of the next gen players going at it. So I hope that there are many more in the future. Um, Medvedev comes in on top, obviously, because he ended up winning the tournament. So all around, great match. Uh, what about you, Aiden?
0: Yeah, I got to go with the other semifinal, Rude versus runo We've mentioned it multiple times in this podcast so far. Both players, incredible athleticism. There were some really long, impressive rallies, but it was a tough mental battle, I think, for Rude. I mean, he led love forty at two three in the first set. Couldn't break him. And even though he ended up winning the first set in a tiebreak, I think it kind of showed that his mentality is a little bit fragile. And then obviously the medical timeout issue happened and uh, Rune was able to battle back from down a break and then obviously took the third.
1: A lot of missed opportunities for Rude. Couldn't capitalize. Well... That's a wrap. Tune in next week for a very interesting topic and we will catch you later. All right, and that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.